Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 73 of A Play on Nerds. As always, I'm one of the co-hosts, Steve. And I'm the other co-host, Jarman. And we're here to entertain you, or at least make you a shrug. Meh. Eh, I guess. <laughs> sure. It's all right. Uh, but yeah, in the meantime, let's get the show started. We have a very special, uh, another special Star Trek episode. What are we up. covering this time? Uh, we are covering uh, Star Trek Three: Search for Spock. Oh, really? I watched a South Park movie. Oh, I actually just watched that like a week ago. I'd be fine doing that. <laughs> That's really uh, funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, but we'll be getting to that later. But it's a, the next step in our continuing series of us going back and forth and reviewing each other's, uh, all the Star Trek films and all the Muppet films back to back. It works out pretty well. Yeah. But in the meantime, what have you been up to? Well, I've had an interesting couple of weeks uh, in a bad way oh. and a good way. So uh. I a long time ago, I auditioned to be part of uh, do a voice in this animated film coming up. It's a short film okay, uh, done by a local artist here who does he's doing a stop motion uh, film with these little like partially claymation, but also like porcelain face plates that change depending on their um, expression. So it takes forever to, to make it, obviously. That's, that sounds creepy and nightmarish. Go on. It actually is. It's called Hannah Frightful. So it's like a kind of um, a dark... Uh, Hanna-Barbera, sto- but terrible. <laughs> it's like a dark story about these children that are genetically engineered to tell the future um, and how it goes wrong for this one child in the program. And... I play basically like the cigarette smoking man character from the X-Files, the dark shadowy figure in the background is kind of running the whole operation. Okay. Um, I'm only in like one scene, but because it's a short film, but um, I could do really fun, like evil character voice. And uh, so I went to this guy's house to record and he has this whole set there where he's building all these these miniature sets for um, the stop motion film. It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I leave the recording session. It went pretty well. And I go out to my car and there's a note on my car and it says... Uh, I'm so sorry. I backed into your car. I didn't see it there. Uh, it's coming out of my driveway. I don't have any damage on my car, but uh, there's a dent on your car, but I don't know if it was there before or if I caused it. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I walk around my car towards the back and I see mm-hmm. this dent. My car has been there forever. Um, it's on my back bumper. And I'm like, oh, that's okay. It's been there for a long time. And then mm-hmm. I get to go to open my door and my entire pass, my entire driver's side door is smashed in completely. <laughs> wow. And for this person to say like, Oh, I don't know if that was there before. I'm like, no, that wasn't there before. <laughs> oh, that sucks. I'm sorry, bud. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. But at least I was in the car and she wasn't hurt. Um, come to find out later, uh, it was the daughter taking her mom's car to go to work. And she's like a teenager and she ran into my car. So it's I haven't had been in an accident in like 15 years. So I wow. I didn't really know what to do. Like, And so at least she left her information, which was great. So I left a message. I talked to her mom and... I get to work through her insurance to pay for my car, but I had no idea how complicated and annoying this process is. So like, oh, if, yeah. 
you have to like talk to their insurance. Then you have to work with the, the repair place that they approve. You have to make sure they approve the payment. An appraiser comes out to look at your car. Uh-huh. I have to arrange for a rental car, which they're going to pay for, which is nice. But um, it's been a huge pain in the butt. And this whole time, I have to get into my car through my passenger side. <laughs> <laughs> the most demoralizing part. <laughs> it really is horrible. I pull up somewhere <laughs> and like someone watches me get out of my passenger side, climb over my back. Like It hurts my back every time. It's like, this is horrible. I hate this. <laughs> so I get my car fixed on Monday. So I have all the way until this. That's um, good. Yeah. We're f- recording this on a Friday. I have to go another two days climbing okay. into my car from the side. <laughs> so that's what I've been dealing with uh, these past couple of weeks. What about you? I mean, no- nothing really crazy here. It's been raining like just an insane amount, just a spectacular amount of rain. Oh, geez. So our area in Northern California has been going through like a five year drought, something like that. I knew California and, had a drought of some sort. I said no, it was oh, northern. Yeah. Uh, real terrible. This year is making up for all of it. It's <laughs> insane. Uh, well, you're you're local, used to rain from living in Seattle, right? Yeah, and Florida before that. Um, but like local creeks are flooding, um, and there's like widespread localized flooding. It's it's pretty gnarly. Mm. Uh, there's road like 17, which is one of the highways just south of us. Uh, like landslides. Once a week. Oh, geez. Yeah, it's just crazy. Absolutely crazy. And what kind of car are you driving around in this? Uh, our Prius. Okay, so not like an all-wheel drive vehicle or anything. <laughs> no, why would I want one of those? <laughs> well, for this kind of rain, I guess. Uh, yeah, but I live in California. I shouldn't have to have one of those. <laughs> I forget the ultimate liberal with a Prius. Yeah, that's that's why. Because it, <laughs> it was a good deal and a decent car. <laughs> And then otherwise, we had Valentine's Day. What did you do for Valentine's Day? Uh, well, actually, uh, oh. the lovely girlfriend got us a nice dinner and a stay at a hotel for a night at downtown Orlando, Ooh. a place called The Castle. It's on International Drive, and it looks like a castle. Uh, it's kind of cool. neat. And we had a nice dinner at Cafe Tutu's, which is just a random smorgasbord of different kinds of food with artwork okay. hanging around. And I bought a little uh, piece of artwork while I was there, a little postcard size thing of the supernatural characters so that's something nerdy oh that's Valentine's day but it was a good time what about you uh let's see i kind of forgot about it <laughs> oh on the way home i stopped at our local rite aid <laughs> what a romantic and picked up their most eight dollarist bundle of flowers <laughs> uh and diapers because that's oh. romantic there you go. Right now it is. And I wasn't going to get anything for Joyce, but then there was this little heart-shaped box of candies, four chocolates in it. Uh, and on the front was a penguin, and above it it said, be cool, which is one of our catchphrases for Joyce. So I had to get it. <laughs> that's that's his daughter, by the way, listeners. Joyce, Joyce, be cool. Be cool, Joyce. I'm going to set you down for like one minute. Be cool. <laughs> nah, be cool. Be cool. <laughs> be cool, Joyce. <laughs> yeah, so I got her a little thing to be cool. Can she actually eat those chocolates yet? Oh, absolutely not. I didn't think so. <laughs> we just started her on sweet potatoes and carrots. She absolutely cannot have them. <laughs> right. You, but you can we, puree it or something. We volunteered as her parents to eat them. So. Oh, how nice of you. Mm-hmm. I uh, did the romant- overly romantic thing and bought a, uh, a cool-looking notebook, and in the first uh 50 pages of it wrote down on each page one thing i loved about my my partner oh. so it's very high school romance oh. type of thing. <laughs> uh, and so i just decided to do a little bit of research here and give you guys uh, like two or three minutes uh a little bit about what about st valentine and the holiday aren't there some disturbing origins of valentine's day well the thing is there's like 11 st valentines 
And a lot of people think different Valentines are the Valentine we celebrate because at least like five or six of them supposedly died on February 14th. Oh, geez. So there's this argument. But the most common one is the this guy who died in 269 AD. He was a Roman priest. And there was this emperor, Claudius, who had just taken out this like hate campaign on the church. And what he'd done is he had forbidden people to get married under a certain age because his mantra was single soldiers make better soldiers. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this was directly opposed to the church. who wanted everyone marrying and making babies and making more of them. Uh, and so same uh, Valentine, he wasn't even Saint then just Valentine. I uh, went around just getting young people hitched. Oh, that's pretty appropriate. Against the uh, government. So they finally caught him, threw him in jail. Uh, while he was in jail, one of his judges uh, had a daughter who was blind, and supposedly he healed her. And that was one of the miracles that got him his sainthood, supposedly. Ah, uh, gotcha. Um, he was sentenced to death, died in 269, and uh, he was sentenced to a three-part death of being beaten and then stoned and then decapitated. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Uh yeah, it's pretty pretty uh pretty hardcore. Hooray hardcore. for the hooray for uh that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and so Valentine's Day uh up until a little bit ago was thought that it was the put in place in mid February to push out this like pagan holiday. But new research thinks that's not accurate. Uh so Valentine's Day, there's always a feast day in mid February, to approximately February fourteenth, and uh Chaucer Famous writer and poet wrote right. this thing called the Parliament of Fowls uh, that described that was like this huge, massive poem. And a lot of the ideas in it are what turned February 14th and his popularity into a romantic based holiday. But the Parliament of Fowls is basically a young guy is trying to figure out what to do with his life, meaning his life, reading, reads this other poem, falls asleep. Some guy escorts him up into the, the ethers out into space and all that. Uh, and he gets there, and nature's there, and nature is having a parliament of all the birds so they can choose who they're going to mate with. Mm -hmm. So there's this lady bird and these three dude birds. And the three dude birds are, like, pitching themselves to her, and um, and then they start bickering with each other. And while they're fighting, the lady bird just turns to nature and goes, hey, can I just choose none of these idiots? <laughs> and nature was like, yeah, that's cool. So, <laughs> so lady bird peaced out, and the whole poem is basically about uh, like, like they're always the element of choice and free choice and how that is really the basis of love because we can choose who we love. And that's why it became this much more room and, and his popularity turned it into a romantic holiday. That makes sense. Yeah. So they kind of amalgamize the idea of that old Valentine guy and then this date because of Chaucer. Yeah. And then Chaucer, Chaucer's immense popularity made it happen. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, it's a little bit about Valentine's Day. Enjoy. Very nice. I guess that takes us on to some nerdy news then. Nerdy news. Woo! It's time for nerdy news. So I have a couple stories that I did not Ooh. name in a cool way like you did. Like you, you usually do. Shit. <laughs> but the first one is kind of fun. Uh Illinois legislature declares mm -hmm. official zombie preparedness month. Okay. For cool. October. Uh, it's proposed by Illinois state representative Chris Welch, uh, Emmanuel Chris Welch, uh, who mm -hmm. pushed forward the resolution that says, I'm told that if you're prepared for zombies, 
then you would be prepared to deal with a natural disaster like tornadoes, blizzards, natural disasters of any kind. That's, I guess, his idea behind this silliness. And then uh, opponent of it, Representative Gene Ives um, Wheaton, mm-hmm. uh, criticized the measure as a needless distraction, which is using up precious state resources by saying, this may sound like fun, but if you're really concerned about disaster, the natural disaster that's happening in Illinois it's, is all economic and it's all our doing. Mm. So let's get to work on the real stuff instead of stuff like this. So <laughs> I think they should do it. Why not? But this I mean, is, it's fun for the kids. It's fun for the kids. And we've had a lot of worse stuff proposed in, in local representatives. So, I mean, why not? Yeah, President Trump, just, they just signed a thing allowing uh, coal mines to just throw their shit into rivers. Yeah. That happened today. So this zombie thing sounds okay. <laughs> I mean, preparing people for things. Incompared? That sounds fine. Why not? So they recently uh, just, uh, an official Star Wars canon, have revealed what has happened to Jar Jar Binks. Have you heard about this? Okay. No. So it came up in the upcoming novel Empire's End by Chuck Wendig, which is the final book of the Aftermath uh, series of books. So I've heard it very good. It's They all take place after Return of the Jedi and in between Return of Jedi and The Force Awakens. Okay. Kind of fills in the gaps. Um, and it catches up with Jar Jar Binks on Naboo. And so <laughs> here's how Wendig sets up before giving you the reveal of who the character is. It may be a satisfying closure for the hordes of people who have grown up hating the character, but it's also truly sad, as this article says in io9. All right. Um, Since children started coming in by the shipload as refugees... The Gungan has served them, performing for the kids once or twice a day. He does tricks. He juggles. He falls over and shakes his head, and his eyes roll around inside their fleshy stalks. He makes goofy sounds and does strange little dances. Sometimes it's the same performance, repeated. Sometimes the Gungan does different things, things you've never seen, things you'll never see again. Just a few days ago, he splashed into the fountain's center, then pretended to have the stream shoot him up in the air. When he leapt straight up, then back down with a splash. And he leapt from the compass point to compass point, back and forth, before finally conking his head on the edge and plopping down on his butt. Shaking his head, tongue wagging, all the kids laughed, then the Gungan laughed too. So far, I can see this as being Jar Jar very easily. Uh, So, the clown, they called him. Bring the clown, we want to see the clown. We like how he juggles glombo shells, or spits fish up in the air and catches them, or how he dances around and falls in his butt. The adults, though, they don't say much about him, or to him. And no other Gungans come to see him either. Nobody even says his name. I'm almost done. <laughs> so, wow. The boy then asks him what, why that is. Why doesn't anyone talk to him? Jar Jar responds, Mine though, so sure. The Gungan makes a hmm sound. Misa thinks it's because, oh, Jar Jar making some oh, uh-oh mistakes. Big mistakens. Dare Gunga bosses banished me long ago. Misa no been to home for, for ebers. <laughs> And Disa Hessen Nabu Tink, I help the uh-oh empire. <laughs> uh. Finally, Jar Jar then offers to help the boy who seems interested in becoming a clown, but then the book leaves him there, performing on the streets, banished and ignored by his people, with a glimmer of hope at a potential new friend. So basically, what they're saying is that he, since he helped the emperor get into power by voting right. in that, that Senate regulation, that they all banished him and thought he basically said he's... He, doomed to be banished to be a clown for the rest of his wow. life so that's official canon now. <laughs> that is awesome I, I think it's pretty good it's a good resolution and people hate him right. so much but yet it's still kind of sad and you know moving i guess that's crazy so anyway that's jar jar that's the end of my news so my clever name for my stories are uh, two royal mummies mm-hmm. so one of them is uh this article that's come out uh outlining 
from one of Queen Elizabeth's former personal chefs in the uh, the kitchens of the palace, uh, something that she has banned from her kitchen, and that is garlic. Oh no! The Queen terrible. of England will not allow garlic in her kitchen. Garlic is wonderful. In general, uh, he said that she does not like most odorous foods. <laughs> she likes boring English food, basically. It's boring English food. <laughs> sorry, English listeners. <laughs> it's a stereotype. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> um, I sure everything tastes real good boiled. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get someone mad about oh, that. I'm, exci- I'm yeah, excited like to hear. Most of our listeners are English. <laughs> so, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> I can't wait. American um, food's terrible, too, so it's okay. But apparently she has a very disciplined diet. She doesn't eat a lot of pasta or rice, like a lot of starches. Um, she will have the occasional sandwiches, but always wants the crust cut off. Hmm. Uh, but she loves chocolate. She loves chocolate cookies and cakes. Um, but she's a big fan of fruit. Um, but yeah, I thought I just thought that was interesting. But then <laughs> and, here's the little capper here. Yeah. Uh, she enjoys the occasional royal nightcap um, in the form of a mix of gin and Dubonne. And I looked and I thought, I know Dubonne. The name of the club in uh, Great Muppet Caper was the Dubonne Club. Huh. So I looked it up and it's like a sweet, spiced after dinner wine. Interesting. What a, what a connection there. Yeah. Uh, and the other one was a discovery I made. So that was one royal mummy. And the other one is discovery of this pigment uh, in paint called Mummy Brown. That's like this really nice translucent brown. It was used from like Raffi- uh, like uh, before Raphael's time. It's like a long time, but it was still being produced like up until 2000. And uh, it's called Mummy Brown because they use mummies to make it. What? They use the remains of mummified corpses of both humans and felines to make the paint. How do they have enough remains to make it? It's usually the thing to think about. It- in Egypt, mummification at first was was for royalty only. Mm-hmm. You know, the, but then as it became a status symbol, more and more people got mummified, and it became much and much more common. Ah, so because of that there are a lot, a fair amount of mummies, but they can't uh, do it. But yeah, indefinitely. The, but the the company that made it made it, went out of business because they ran out of bodies. <laughs> That's disgusting. <laughs> yep. So two royal mummies. <laughs> Way to go, Steve. There you go. You <laughs> like that? I know you do. Now we're going to discuss the fantastic Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. All right, so we're going to go on. We're eventually going to go through the whole plot, you know, a little bit by little bit. But what were your initial impressions of this? Uh, seeing it, not for uh, the first, not for the first time. No, not for the first time. But this is probably the second time I'd watched it all the way through. Gotcha. Um, so I, I think that a lot of. Com- this is classically held as one of the bad Star Trek films, right? Because it's an odd number. It was considered, yeah. Yeah. I think for this being one of 
you know, the bad ones. I thought this movie was pretty good. I thought the writing was good. The dialogue wasn't nearly as blocky. The movie paced well. Um, there was a central enemy. Like it had all the, the right elements for a good movie. So I'm not, I, I don't quite get why this is considered one of the bad ones. It's so funny you say that because rewatching this now, because I haven't seen it in years um, since I bought the DVD collection a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, this is pretty good. Like the dialogue yeah. is funny. The character interactions are great. Everybody kind of gets a little moment to shine. Um, maybe not check off that much, but are pretty much everybody else. Um, yeah. And I was like, this is great and a good pacing i feel like it's a good mixer of the of the pacing of the first movie yeah. and the second movie kind of like yeah in between the two of them um but yeah start middle finish uh some problems which we'll get to i'm sure but uh um, yeah but otherwise yeah i agree it's like this isn't that bad at all i yeah. think it's better than the first one. Oh, absolutely yes yeah yes all of them yes better than the first one absolutely. W- which they do say the odd ones are bad so the first one was supposed to be bad but i mean i mean this is much better than the first one yes uh, so let's uh, let's go through the movie, right? Uh, so the movie opens up with like a '70s television style recap of what happened in the last movie, right? And I did put that in my notes that apparently in the trivia I saw that uh, Harv Bennett, who directed and wrote and not directed but he wrote and produced this, he came from a huge television background, and they did that all the time in TV, and that really wasn't done very much in movies, and it still kind of isn't. So that's very much a TV feel of last time on Star Trek. You know? so yeah, it I liked just, it. It was strange. A little off-putting for a movie. So the USS Enterprise finally on its way back to this huge star base after this horrible thing happened on Genesis. Uh, they lose Spock. Yep, they've lost Spock. Spock's gone. Um, and while they're pulling in, uh, well, actually, before they pull in, there's... For, so this is my first problem is all of a sudden there's an alert that there's a life form in Spock's quarters. Right. And my immediate question is, why the hell would they be scanning for life forms specifically in Spock's quarters? Well, they get uh, I, I can explain that a little bit. They, it's, okay. they, they get an alert saying that there's like a, a life sign where there shouldn't be. Right. So I think it's kind of like they had his quarters sealed and the door was uh, when they get to the door, it's been pushed open. Like, so something was wrong. They get kind of an alert and there's a life sign in there. So I think it's kind of like the that's the way I looked at it anyways. All right. I disagree. <laughs> well, no, only because of the order in which uh, it's there's a life form in there. No, but there's definitely a life sign in his room. And then Ohora, after checking a, a thing, announces that the doors have been pried open, which means that before that moment. They didn't know the doors had been pried open. Well, because script. Yep. Because <laughs> script. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was a little bit convenient. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Yeah. I don't think the uh, Enterprise is constantly scanning for life signs where they shouldn't be. And then Kirk goes and checks it out. Sees someone sitting. Thinks maybe it's Spock. Nope. It's it's McCoy. I did like He's that scene, though. Messed up. It's a nice dark scene. It was cool the way it was shot and the way the guy he plays sounds McCoy like Spock. Did a did a good job. Good Spock impression. Um, so McCoy's sick. He gets into sick bay and sedated, basically. And they pull in. They receive some honors. And everyone gets thanked and commendations. And everyone gets extra leave. Except for you, Scotty. Fuck you. Get back to work. And so <laughs> Scotty much. gets sent to work on the Excelsior, this brand new, super top-of-the-line starship. So Scotty doesn't get to <laughs> get to have any leave. <laughs> it's really terrible. Yeah, I was like, what the fuck? That was fucked up. 
Oh, and can I say, this reminded me, it was in the last movie too, but these uniforms where they had the flaps sitting open, I hate uh-huh. that. They do that uh, all they, throughout they, these two movies. Apparently they use the same uniforms. Yeah, I mean, like, I get it makes sense because it took, takes place right after the last movie, but I always hated that flap hanging down with the white showing, and it's like, it looks so sloppy and gross. It's not very Starfleet. Anyways, had to get that yeah. out there. Um, so then we cut to General Krug, I think his name is, or Admiral Krug. Krug. I, I don't know uh, who he is. But he's a Klingon uh, general. They intercept this transmission about Genesis and what it does, and he decides to go rogue for the glory of his people and capture Genesis and destroy Starfleet. And he's given the communications that were stolen by uh, Valkris, his his apparent Klingon lover. Yeah. And she was hot. <laughs> yeah. That was a Some hot that Klingon. giant ridge thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, but Klingons always have the most cleavage. It's like going to a Renaissance festival. Especially that, that sparkly dress. That was, that was nice. Yeah. And then she dies immediately. Gosh. <laughs> so, yeah, he decides uh, he gets the plans from her. He sees the ultimate weapon. Uh, it was a great moment where he's he acknowledges to her that since she saw the plans, she has to die, and she understands immediately because she's Klingon honor and everything. Mm. So that was pretty cool. Um, so the so then we cut to the USS Grissom. Yep. After Gus Grissom from Apollo One uh, arrives back at Genesis, and Kirk's son and Savick, who has changed from Kirstie Alley to a cheaper actress, Robin Curtis, who apparently um, Kirstie Alley. Uh, did not sign an agreement to do a second film. So she was like, oh, I want tons more money then. And they said, nope. And uh, so Leonard Nimoy had just met Robin Curtis on the streets of L.A. somewhere. She had just moved to L.A. as her first acting job, and he immediately hired her. Yeah. Yeah, so good for her. And and this is sort of the, where I, when they were on the Starship, is when I sort of started realizing that the, the dialogue moved a lot smoother. Right. In this movie than the last one. It was a little bit more natural feeling. Like they got back into the groove again or something. Uh-huh. Uh, so the Grissom, they f- they're they checking out what the plant's like. It's got flora and some, it's got, you know, plants and all these different climates. And then, oh my gosh, a life form. What could it be? We got to get down there and check it out. So scientists go down to the planet. Grissom orbits. Um, and then they cut back to this sort of the, the dinner with the crew and. There's the um, here's to absent friends toast. Good scene. And, you know, the, everyone sort of commiserates a little bit. And then uh, Ambassador, no, Spock, Spock's dad, Ambassador Sarek. Yep. That right. Shows up to ask Kirk what happened. And um, and this is. I think that this scene is the best acted scene in the in, in Star Trek up to this point. Really? I thought it was really a very nice, very subtle scene where Sarek mind melds, I'm guessing. That's yeah. The right term. Mind melds with, um, with Kirk and you get to watch the pain of a father learn seeing his son die. You get to watch the pain of Kirk relive that death. Yeah. And then on top of that, you get to see Sarek absorb some of his human emotions, which I think is one of the side effects of mind melding. Forgive me. It is not here. I had assumed he mind melded with you. It is the Vulcan way. When the body's end is near. We were separate. He couldn't touch me. I see. And everything that he was. Everything he knew. Lost. 
And that's the thing, too, is every iteration of Sarek, I've noticed, is always a little bit more emotional than the average Vulcan because he married a human woman. Right, right. Uh, must have been in him. And so, like, you'll, you'll always see him having a little bit more trouble controlling his emotion, no matter what actor portrays him. And he, actually, he's going to be in the new Star Trek series, too. Um, oh, cool. Another iteration of Sarek. It's pretty cool. Uh, but, yeah. That I was just good. thought it was, a, it was a very nice scene. I thought it was very touching. I agree. So, Sarek's like, ah, well, Spock would have told you and given you his soul, basically. I don't know how to explain it. Really. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> Joyce agrees. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, basically the katra is the essence, the soul, your consciousness, whatever you want to call it. Uh, since they're tele- tele- telekinetic people, uh, they're, I like to look at it as scientifically, since they've developed telekinesis in their brain, they can just transfer their essence, their neurons, their everything right. into, into somebody else. And, and so Sarek or I, Spock made a copy of himself into McCoy before he died. Um, right. And so, but Sarek thought that it was going to be Kirk, but then realized Kirk was separated from Spock by glass. Right. Uh, so then they roll back the tape. They look at security footage, which is just footage from the last film. Yeah. Very well uh, shot security footage. He confirms that Spock mind boned McCoy <laughs> and left his seed inside of him. Oh. I, that's legit, though, right? That's pretty much yeah, what happened. Pretty much. Um, and so that's when they figure out they got to get bones to this mountain on Vulcan so that they can put his son's soul to rest. Right. Because at the time, they don't know there's going to be a body. So that, that's now Kirk's mission. Yep. And so he goes to basically ask for, the, for a ship to go do this uh, and to help out his old friend's consciousness. And the mm-hmm. other admiral's like, hell no, that's a bunch of mumbo jumbo mystic bullshit. And you'll ruin your career. We um, can't let you do it. I like that scene, too. It showed more of Starfleet and being regular people and the whole bars they hang out in and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, okay, I won't do it. And then he walks out and tells uh, Sulu and Scotty, he's like, well, he said no, but I'm going to do it anyways. Are you guys going with- anyway? Are you with me? And they're like, yep, we're with you. <laughs> so they start making their own plans. Meanwhile, you catch McCoy entering a seedy bar. It looks like uh, most Eisley Cantina, basically. Yes. And then talking to a seedy guy about trying to get a transport to Vulcan. No, transport to Genesis. Yeah. Right? And he's like, oh, okay. Genesis is forbidden. <laughs> so then Bo starts yelling about Genesis. Guy comes over, tells him to shut up. Ends up, he is Starfleet security. Arrests Bones, throws him in a cell. Mm-hmm. And then there's this breakout scene where they've got to now figure out how to break out McCoy uh, and then escape. And I love these scenes. Like uh, it shows Sulu uh, taking out a big, big guard who calls him Tiny, and he's like, "My next note is so tiny. there's there's a uh, in in that scene, Sulu is wearing this leather cape jacket thing. <laughs> yeah, that I am really jealous of. It's pretty awesome. I it's, really want that leather cape jacket. It's thing. very debonair. <laughs> it is. I want it." Um, Apparently, he, sa- he said that originally he saw that in the script. He didn't like being called tiny. And they were like, just go with it. It's more of a joke about the guy being huge than you being small. And then once uh, he saw the reaction from the crowd, because everyone laughed at that line, he was like, oh, I'm so, everyone loved it. I'm so happy that was in the movie. Oh, that leads to another great scene where they have to all transport out. And Uhura helps them transport out to the Enterprise uh, by taking advantage of this younger recruit who's talking with her about, I want more adventure. That's why I joined Starfleet. And uh, I thought it was a- Careful what th- you wish for. You might just get it. That's one of the best Uhura scenes we ever get, pretty much. Yeah. Like, that's her most like, dialogue at one time, and it's a good scene. 
And uh, yeah, she doesn't get much, but that was a good scene because she has much worse scenes in later movies, which we'll see. And so this, there's something I noticed in these scenes. Uh-huh. And it, it, amusingly enough, it's Chekhov, who doesn't really have that big of a role in this movie. Yeah. But they he is dressed in this outfit. <laughs> <laughs> the pink thing? That, that makes him... No, no, no. Pre-pink thing. Oh. The, the one outfit before, it makes him look like a disco pilgrim. <laughs> Disco pilgrim. It has this huge, wide white collar that's in the sea, <laughs> the sea, like the you know the pilgrim shape you're imagining, mm-hmm. and these like brown patches all over it and stuff. Why do they but, do but that? The whole time I was like, why that shit? Is he dressed like a disco pilgrim? <laughs> that's the early '80s for you. It is the early but '80s yeah, version of the pink, future space. The pink outfit afterwards though was a doozy as well. <laughs> it's like someone was mad at him for this movie. Like we're gonna yeah. give you barely any lines. We're gonna put you in stupid outfits. <laughs> Um, so back on uh, on the Genesis planet. Uh, oh, I, I, I do want to go back. Yeah. I'm so sorry. What? Um, first of all, I wanted to mention Uhura's Jerry Curl was going crazy in this movie. I don't know what they did, oh, yeah. but there's like, let your soul glow. glow. Uh, <laughs> Just let your soul glow. Just let it shine through. Just let your soul And then <laughs> I love the line, sir, what is it? Someone's stealing the Enterprise. I don't know why. That just was just like a really great just standout line for me. I like <laughs> All right. Sorry. So they get to the Genesis planet. Um, so we come back to the Genesis planet. Uh, the two scientists, Kirk's son and the other. Savick. 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 Uh, go. They find Spock's pod. There's all these like big space worm things that have evolved rapidly. And Spock, its body is gone gown so then they're searching on the planet they hear something crying they check it out they find a kid a young vulcan kid a boy kid who is young young spock a boy kid we're you know they don't say it's young <laughs> spock but it's young spock yeah um meanwhile the grissom up you know circling the planet waiting for the scientists to finish their shit uh klingon bird of prey finds him sneaks up on him bam uh doesn't try to kill him, but destroys the whole ship in one shot. I know. I thought that was kind of crazy because it wasn't a small ship. Right. Well, and I actually wrote that it's very, it, that was very anti-Star Trek. Yeah. Of them. Like, normally, the, you know, there's these extended battles and, oh, well, these systems are down. We can get them back online. You know, there's always the back and forth, these drawn out battles. But this is just like, nah, they're gone. I like they at least have the line saying... I told you I didn't want to destroy them. I wanted to take prisoners. He's like, it was a lucky shot. Lucky shot. <laughs> so at least they tried to explain it, I guess. Yeah. Oh, by the way, do you know David Larroquette was playing the other Klingon? Yeah. <laughs> that crazy? <laughs> I didn't. I, I knew he was in it, and I kept looking for him, and I didn't know which one was him. And then there was one shot at the end where I heard it in the voice. And I went, oh, that's him. Yeah, his voice even sounds different, but he's the same Klingon throughout who's saying intelligent things. And I think it was Gene Roddenberry or somebody else who, after the movie came out, called him the thinking Klingon because he was like, yeah. always like, sir, wait a minute, sir, we they, we could take them as prisoners. <laughs> Very calm and collected. So after the Grizzlies were destroyed, cut back to uh, the planet and Savick's talking to Kirk's son and says, look, this planet is obviously not what you planned. There's all this crazy rapid stuff going on. What did you do? And then he admits that he injected proto-matter into the thing MacGuffin matter the thing and it's making it do this crazy stuff and this was one of the most heavy-handed moments in the script uh-huh because he goes 
I put proto matter in the thing. And she literally goes, proto matter. You mean a highly destructive dense and like literally get, <laughs> literally reads off the definition of proto matter. I used proto matter in the Genesis matrix. Proto matter. An unstable substance which every ethical scientist in the galaxy has denounced as dangerously unpredictable. But it was the only way to solve certain problems. So, like your father, you changed the rules. In trying to, instead of trying to use context clues to try to let you know it's a really dangerous, terrible thing, they literally just defined it. Like she could have said, how could you? You could have known the dangers. And yeah. you'd be like, I know, that I shouldn't be, that have. That could lead to one of the most destructive forces in the universe. Bam. Done. One line of dialogue. Done. <laughs> but you literally just got lazy and had them define it. Just turn to the camera. Oh, proto-matter. You mean. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, so Genesis starts rapidly aging, evolving. So does Spock. Spock is suddenly like five years older or something. Well, that's the, the thing, too, which is funny. I found out from reading trivia. I had no idea. It was all the scenes where we hear... Uh, different iterations of this Spock moaning or crying or yelling mm -hmm. were all voiced by Frank Welker, who is a renowned around forever. huge voice forever. actor. Uh, done tons of Transformers. He's done, he does weird animal sounds. He's been around for 40 uh, years. He did, he did Gremlins. Gremlins as well. Yeah. I mean, he's, and so they, they had him do the little kid. They had him do the adolescent, the teenager, the 20 something, every, it was all Frank Welker until it becomes Leonard Nimoy. And I thought hmm. that was amazing. He's just, he's so talented. So then Savick explains what's going on because Spock starts freaking out. And she's like, oh no, he's doing the Pong Far. Which sounds like a terrible drug from the 70s, but <laughs> it's not. It's basically where every seven years in the adult life of a male Vulcan, they go through super puberty. And that was in established an original Star Trek, and it's it's lived out through all of Star Trek. Like every seven years, Vulcans yeah. go go sex crazy. Um, and so, but because the planet is rapidly aging, and he is rapidly aging, he's hitting like pong far after pong far after pong far. He is he is just sexed out and crazy. He only gets to like really one pong far that they address, anyways. True, but I thought that was sort of the idea that he was like in this constant like, Rrr. right? Like I think they. The, f the first teenage one's supposed to be like 13, and so she's like, that's mm -hmm. when she says, oh, he'll be going through Pond Far soon, which means I think the next time he, when he's, he's older, he's supposed to be 20, so it'd be seven years. Right, but, the, but think of it this way, though. By the time they pick him up, he's like 60, and they leave the planet, he's, he's the Spock we know. So her and Nimoy must have been in his late 50s, so that means that in, in the, that time, he went through you know, five Pong Fars, six Pong Fars. That means that they banged like six times. Yeah, because she had to c control his pawn far. Like six there's times. a lot of of real awkward hand stroking that goes on in this movie too. There's <laughs> like a whole like a two minute scene of just supple wrist and back of hand stroking. <laughs> Lots of things that that's not all they're doing. Like they had to have had some major uh -huh. sex after that. So I know I'm just sad they didn't put gloves on first. If you're gonna pong far, you should be protected. Well, I don't know how much trivia you read, but uh. I read all of it. Okay. I read all the stuff you did. Because basically, I mean, I've known this for a while, but there was a novelization, and then it was still saying that like it might have happened in the movies, but they didn't ever show it. But Sadik was supposed to be pregnant with his child, and uh, that would have been a cool story to go along with later that she has. Absolutely. And plus, if she's supposed to be really half Vulcan, half Romulan, which they also don't show on screen. Then he, the kid would be three quarters Vulcan, one quarter Romulan. Yeah, like Romulan, That's Vulcan, fun mix. and human. Yeah. Oh, that's right. 
Man, it would have been a really cool child to have. That would have been neat. But uh, they didn't go there, unfortunately. So, uh, anyways. So let's see. Da, da, da. Pong far, awkward hand stroking. Okay. <laughs> so, meanwhile, back in space, the Klingons and the Bird of Prey spot the Enterprise. Uh, and they cloak and they start drifting in for the kill. Meanwhile, the, the Enterprise thought they caught a whiff of something, but can't quite see him. Uh, but Kirk gets everyone at the ready, gets all the weapon systems, and then, sure enough, the Klingons have to decloak before they can fire. So as soon as they decloak, Kirk unleashes hell. But in doing so, the already hobbled Enterprise takes a beating, and so they're dead in the water. I love that scene because it showed like the ingenuity and the uh, great captainship of Kirk because he's like, wait a minute, this is something weird. What is that shimmering effect out there looking just out the window? And he's like, I don't trust it. That could be cloaking and like, figuring all this out. And he's like, at least prepared so that when they decloak, right. they don't get them unaware. He's like, shoots them immediately. I'm like, that shows yeah. how it really just was a good movie action of showing how cool Kirk is and how good he is at his job. There. That distortion, see it? Yes, sir. It's getting large as we close in. Opinion, Mr. Silver. I think it's an energy surge. Enough energy to hide a ship, would you say? A cloaking device. Red alert, Mr. Scott. Hey, Tom. No shields. My guess is right. They'll have to decloak before they can fire. May all your guesses be right. Think on bird appraisers. She's arming torpedoes. Fire, Mr. Scott. Simultaneously, some Klingons have been sent down to the surface of the planet. They find the scientists and little young Spock and take them, take them hostage. Mm-hmm. So, um, Bird of Prey is momentarily disabled, Enterprise is disabled, Enterprise tries to bluff, uh, the Klingons call that bluff, yeah. um, and Kirk refuses to surrender, and so Krug has his men kill someone on the planet, and Kirk's son goes and dies. Pretty unceremoniously. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and honestly, very brutal as far as Star Trek goes. Yeah, the the way that it was so undramatic makes it more stark and kind of just like oh that's just sad yeah, he's gone oh shit he's gone he's just dead like, like there's that. nothing bringing him back he's gone yeah you just don't there's not much of that no not in much star trek and like i love the and the the whole scene where kirk finds out that his son's dead he falls backwards and just oh, yeah. falls another in the ground. pin in in this being better better acting than anything we saw in the first two Right, and they said that they they voice. It's been a long legend that they haven't revealed whether that was completely improvised or he was because apparently they're saying he was supposed to just fall into the chair really hard, but instead he mm-hmm. misses the chair and falls in the ground, and it makes it more powerful because he's like he doesn't mm-hmm. even make the chair; he just falls over, and it's like that was great. It was good yeah. reaction. Uh, so great, great Kirk reaction. Some great acting there from Shatner, and I know that doesn't get said on. <laughs> does not. True that's true. Um, so Shatner says, "Fine, damn you." I surrender. Give me a moment to tell my crew. Because at that point, Krug is unaware that the Enterprise is just being run by like five old guys. Yeah, being automated. Right. Uh, and so Kirk and other crewmates set the self-destruct, knowing that Krug is going to send a boarding party. Mm-hmm. And then they ditch. But here's one of my favorite moments, and I thought this was absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> so the... You know, the destruct sequence took three of them saying something and then finally Kirk's final code. And the destruct code was destruct sequence zero, zero, zero. Destruct. Destruct. Zero. zero. 
And I was like, that's like, that was the default when they got the starship <laughs> and they just never bothered to change it. That is bullshit. <laughs> and it's true. They never bothered to change it because that's the same destruct code used in this is let this be your last battlefield, an early episode of Star Trek. It was yeah. the exact same code and it hasn't changed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the Klingons board Enterprise blows up. Uh, I thought it was kind of weird and maybe like, I don't know how to take it. That when the Enterprise went up, for some reason, the cockpit area where the where like the captain stuff would be blows up first. But not just by like a second, but like it blows up and then it takes the rest of the ship like 15 to 20 seconds to blow up. <laughs> the script said so. I know. And I was like, why would they design the ship that way? Well, was it literally to put the crew out of their misery simultaneously? <laughs> is that literally the reason? Well, why does the uh, the consoles always shit. blow up when people shoot the ship? Like, they don't design That's these true. ships very well. Like, sparks coming up from the floor. At one point, there was just a, a fire next to Sulu's arm when he was at one of the stations. <laughs> exactly. Um, Makes no sense. So, it turns out, pulled the old switcheroo. They went down to the planet surface of Genesis blew up most of Krug's crew. And now they're down the planet. They rescue uh, Savick and turns out to be young Spock. 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 Oh, my God. Spock. Uh, uh. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then uh, Krug comes down to the... Uh, oh, no, no, no. So Shatner calls Krug and says, hey, I've got the secret to Genesis. You want it, but you have to come down here and pick us up. Or you get nothing. Got your secrets. So crew goes down. He agrees to transport up the crew, but then refuses to transport young Spock. And Shatner fights him. Okay, so I have to say a few things here. Okay. First of all, um, some of the hammiest performances by Christopher Lloyd and this character all throughout the movie, (laughs) which are great. Good for the character. It makes sense. Uh, Apparently, originally, they're going to cast Edward James almost. They wanted him at first. That's who Nimoy was going for, but then eventually they were like he was he wasn't intent like a I don't know uh, what do they say intimidating enough, so they wanted Christopher Lloyd. But Christopher Lloyd later wrote uh, actually a 2009 interview saying that Commander Krug was one of his favorite roles of all time. Hmm. <laughs> Good for him. But Neat. this fight scene, watching it now, my God, is it stupid? <laughs> oh yeah, it is I the mean- lamest fight scene between two old men. Like. No action, like it's so. St- There's all the. the- I, s- I said no movie would be complete without a fist fight ending with Kirk winning, mostly due to luck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wish they'd explained that maybe since they are saying Spock is connected to the planet, that that's why the planet so conveniently was knocking Krug around. That would make more yeah. sense, but they didn't ever say that, so I'm just speculating. But that's the only way I can explain how stupidly lucky it is, because yes. he was just chopping at Krug and doing nothing. <laughs> um, but. They, he gets, Krug's dead, he gets beamed up, they take the Klingon bird of prey, and they make their way to Vulcan. And I love the line um, to John Larroquette's character, the Klingon, he's like, um, Klingon. Help us or die, something like that. He's like, I deserve to die. He's like, fine, I'll kill you later. (laughs) I love that. I thought you said you would kill me. I lied. (laughs) Because a Klingon can never be taken captive. It's like the most dishonorable Um, thing ever. So they land at Vulcan, they get to this mountain they meet his father uh they got mccoy there they've got an unconscious but alive spock and uh they have to go and do this ritual and the ritual is ancient hasn't been performed in thousands of years and it's this ritual that's going to allow them to take 
Spock's essence out of McCoy and place it into back into Spock's body. Like you do. Yeah, it just happens. Happen in Avatar. <laughs> happens all the <laughs> there time. There you go. McCoy agrees because it's going to be dangerous. They perform this ritual, and this led to what I think is the most awkward cut I have seen in a major motion picture in a long time. Okay. And really a lot. So they're doing the ritual. Everyone's chanting, closing their eyes. There's this real depth. The music is getting deeper and really mounting up and everything is building. And then they they cut to a real close up of Spock. Music builds and builds. And you think you're going to get to see him wake up or take a breath. And they just cut to a wide shot of a pillar or like a tower in 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 dusk. I didn't even really notice. That. And and the music cuts out and it's done with this really abru- abrupt uh dissolve from the shot of close up of Spock to this tower. Hmm. And I was like, what the shit just happened? <laughs> kind of jarring, maybe not in purpose. I just I was like, why did they not use that moment to like give it one final triumphant note and you get to see his eyes fly open? Like, come on. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. It's awkward cut ever. Well, Leonard Nimoy's choice, I suppose. Um, so Spock's back. He's He walks down his road, but he doesn't seem to recognize Kirk or the rest of the crew. Uh, James, or Kirk, uh, jogs his memory by saying back to Spock what he said to him, that, that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. But he says the needs of the one outweigh the many. Yeah. Or And I have always and will be your friend. Or uh, and Spock flashes back and suddenly Spock remembers Kirk and he seems to remember the rest of the crew. And then the movie kind of abruptly ends. Yeah. And we spend the whole next of the next movie, um, the whole next of the next movie, the whole of the next movie, he's still kind of odd Spock, mm-hmm. but then by five and six, he's back to the normal Spock again. Well, that's what I was thinking. I was like, so basically the idea is he, how much he couldn't have stored all of his knowledge and all of who he was in McCoy in that much time. Right. It doesn't seem, I don't like think it's good. possible. So maybe he could be the essence of Spock, but he wouldn't have any of the knowledge and any of the schooling. I don't think that's possible. Like, I mean, this is possible. (laughs) It's not possible. Um, And so I was thinking, like, man, would it be crazy if, like, the next movie was, was like, you know, like, regarding Spock, (laughs) where (laughs) the whole movie is them, like, teaching him how to eat again. Him, him painting Ritz crackers. <laughs> that would have been a great fourth Star Trek film. By the way, if you're Supernatural fans out there, they just had the episode regarding Dean, which was fantastic. Same reference to regarding Henry. Oh, good. But anyways. Uh, uh, but yeah. But yeah. I just thought that would be great. It's good, though, because then the next movie, because these cons- three movies are considered to be like a trilogy, two, three, and four. Right. Uh, he's still kind of stilted and weird in four, which I like that they carried that over. And then finally by five, he's kind of back to being regular Spock. So that's that's kind of neat. Um, and one other thing I kind of noticed and found a little bit j- weird is that for uh, the Vulcans being completely logical, mm-hmm. they sure do have a lot of mysticism that borderlines on magic in their culture. Well, I think you're right. And because they do have powers that would seem magical, but they're so technologically right. advanced that they would then be able to explain their own magical powers. So you kind of wonder why they still have these mysticism events. Yeah, the, yeah, like why they had to do the ritual Right. When it should be a scientific thing, like a transfer. Right. You know, and like, it, it just seems strange. Because we have scientific experiments that are trying to explain the possibilities of, of um, psychic powers. Because there, there are, is a scientific basis for how they could possibly exist. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we just don't understand it yet. Uh, so you think Vulcans by that time would understand it and not be like, it's mystical. Right, right. It just, it, it seems strange and kind of took me out of it. A little but this bit. is two atheists talking here. So, I mean. Yes, that's accurate. <laughs> um, but overall, I thought this, I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, me too. A solid movie. Yeah, absolutely. Haters going to uh, hate. For it to be considered one of the bad ones, I'm kind of confused. Yeah, because we're going to watch some bad ones soon. Because five and six get bad, and then some of the next generation ones are real bad. I liked all the next generation. Insurrection. Insurrection was. Liked insurrection. Insurrection was as good as a long episode of Star Trek. It was fine. Right. It's not bad at all. (laughs) People hate uh, um, the next. Then they should have just made it a two part. No, people hate Nemesis the most of all the. uh, Nemesis is real bad. And I thought Nemesis was totally fine. It was a great action movie. Yeah. You do get to see a young Tom Hardy, though. Oh, yeah. Skinny before muscle bound Tom like, Hardy. Yeah, like a baby Tom Hardy. <laughs> He's got his head shaved, too, like a little bald child. And they give him a weird nose prosthetic to look more like Patrick Stewart. See, I think it kind of looks like uh, it was Andy Samberg who shaved his head. <laughs> That's true. That's kind of what I think it looked like. Uh, but yeah, see, watch this movie. I think it has a bad rap, and I, I really did enjoy it. And it had a triple cam- Trent cameo in the uh, the most Eisley mm-hmm. Cantina scene. There was triples. Ooh, which was well, great oh that's right that's right little furry things yep you have you seen the triple episode of the original star trek yes i have all right we're gonna make you watch all of star trek at some point <laughs> oh, in my life oh. all of right it. then you gotta watch all the muppet show all right you got it all right deal <laughs> um i would just say uh these movies are getting better better so far i really uh-huh. liked the muppet caper it was fantastic uh-huh. uh you like this one so it's a good good uh yeah good progression here See, I, I think that we're going to lose that momentum because, I, <laughs> I, as I said, I'm not expecting you to like the Muppets Take Manhattan. Well, you're going to like Star Trek Four, so. I do. I, I've seen it. I love Star Trek IV. Exactly. The whales are great. Time travel, awesome. Mom from Seventh Heaven, even better. Seventh Heaven. We've had both parents from Seventh Heaven in Star Trek. Holy crap, you're right. Wow. Wow. That's weird. I didn't realize that until now. Trek Connection. <laughs> and only one of them is a pedophile yeah, that we know of <laughs> uh, see <a> trailer <laughs> here to play on nerds we have developed an interesting rating system to bring to you our ideas on the trailers we're about to review at the low low end of the scale we have burn it where we think you should find every copy you can get your hands on and throw it into a barrel fire. Kill it with fire. (laughs) And our next step is Drunk Watch, which means that, yeah, I'd watch this movie. It'd be entertaining if I was under the influence of some kind of substance of some kind. But if I was sober, probably not going to check this thing out. No, not going to see it. Next, we've got We'll See, which is maybe we just don't know enough about this movie to tell what the hell it's going to be. Could be good, could be bad, not sure. Eh. And our next category would be Get the Couch Ready, which means I'm definitely going to check this movie out at home. Wouldn't necessarily pay the big bucks of seeing it in theaters, but I'm definitely going to watch it at home. So get that couch ready. After that, we have Take a Look, where we are recommending for you, our viewers and listeners, to check out this movie and check out the trailer and tell us what you think about it. We, we wanted to see what you guys think. It looks pretty good, but we're not quite sure yet. Yeah, take a look. Yeah. Let us know. And for our final and best category, we have Shut Up and Take My Money. Shut up and take my money. This looks so awesome. We're going to see it. That's where we cannot wait to give Hollywood bigwigs all of the money that we have earned at work to go see a film for $47. We're so excited. We just have to go see it. We have, we don't have a choice. And that is our A Play on Nerds official copyrighted trademark system for rating our movie trailers. Yeah.
So, as we mentioned last week, uh, trailer reviews are kind of uh, rough right now because there's not it's not good trailer season because there's not a lot of stuff no. coming up soon. Uh, so we're reaching from some dregs here. But uh, what was our first one, Steve? Uh, so the first one we'll go over is uh, Life, mm-hmm. which is a new sci-fi thriller, I would say, um, starring Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it's got Jake Gyllenhaal, Ryan Reynolds, um, and they are an international space crew, and they discover some form of life on Mars. No man can fully grasp how far and how fast we have come. There is no strife, no prejudice, no national conflict in outer space as yet. Its hazards are hostile to us all. Its conquest deserves the best of all mankind. And its opportunity for peaceful cooperation may never come again. I see it. The mission's primary goal has been achieved. We're looking at a large single cell, biological. I'd hate to jump the gun, but I think it's time. We're looking at the first proof of life beyond Earth. You finally a daddy. It's going to be a big custody battle over this one. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. You! set sail, we ask God's blessing on the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. This nation will continue to be a pioneer in the new frontier of space. Uh, And it seems to be some type of contagion. Um, It seems to kind of be 2001 meets Alien. And meets thing. Yeah. Right. Cause it's and like that one, that was the same thing where they found a virus on Mars and couldn't bring it back. It was like red, I think red it was planet. Just another, yeah. Something like that. <laughs> That's the thing I wrote originally is like watching this trailer. It's great acting. I are great cast of, of characters. He has the guy from rogue one. Um, yeah. Uh, I didn't recognize a female actress, but, um, I recognize her from a few things, but I'm not sure I can say what. Right. But it's just, we've seen this plot so many times before that unless they do something different with it, which I didn't see in the trailer, I don't see what the point is. Right. I mean, I mean, here, here's the only thing that gives me any hope mm-hmm. is that the trailer really does it show. They show you the movie. They show you what happens. Like literally, if there's everything like that happens, end, they show everything. <laughs> Which makes me hope that they're doing that strategically and that there is more to what's going on. I hope. That's exactly what I wrote down. Like, I hope it shows me more. It shows me at least a hint that something else is going to happen. Otherwise, we've seen the whole movie already. Like, what's the point? Right. Um, but yeah, I'll go ahead. I'm going to give this a, a drunk watch. Oh, I don't think you've given any drunk watches. Un- under the influence watch. Right. Because um, I would, I would sit at home and rent this and watch this, but... Unless I see a tr- the next trailer really gives me something to make me think it's different, I've seen this movie. Right. 
But I have to say, I have not seen either a Jake Gyllenhaal or Ryan Reynolds movie that I have not liked. Okay. Like, every movie they've been in, I've enjoyed in some capacity. So Absolutely. I, I can't see how they'll go wrong, at least. So I, I put a we'll see. Okay. Uh, which may evolve into either a drunk watch or uh, shove and take my money or something like that if I see a better trailer for this. Because it's just yeah, right now, it's just like, what the that. hell's going on? This just seems retreading territory. All right. So uh, what's our second trailer? So second trailer, I tried to find something sci-fi and interesting, which is Boca. Welcome to Iceland. I know that you used all your savings for this trip. It feels good. Beautiful country, you and me. We have everything we need. Baby, wake up. It's empty. Where did everybody go? Hello? What is going on? The internet's still working. It hasn't been updated since yesterday. This is starting to freak me out. None of this makes any sense. Baby, this world is ours for the making. So I think this is a test. That we should be preparing for something? We should be asking ourselves is what do we do now i just want to go home and maybe this will all pass you gotta try this <laughs> are you laughing there is no 911 there's no one can't you see what this is no one's coming back for us is this it the end of times which when I know hear the term bokeh, I think of the um, you use that in filming and in photography, having mm-hmm. lens flare kind of effects on your your photographs and f- video. Uh, but it's a story of this couple who goes to Iceland to have a vacation, romantic vacation. Mm-hmm. They're in their twenties, probably, and they go to bed. They wake up in the morning, and everyone's gone, and they can't right. they can't find Everybody. anybody in the entire like town they're in. But then they find out that the internet just stopped, and like there's appears to be nobody in the entire right, the world. internet's still on but it's just nothing has been updated no new posts on any website whatsoever um so they keep going and they f- seem to find out that there's nobody anywhere so they start looting stores having fun uh wondering what's going on having existential crises crises uh yeah, cr- crises 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 pieces <laughs> crises pieces sounds delicious um mm. but uh I, I kind of wrote that it's a cool concept. I don't remember seeing like this before. I mean, okay. What do you, you think? Um, I like it. The you know the last man on earth thing has been done, somewhat. Yeah, it's been. I mean, not even somewhat. It's been done over and over and over. Um, well, to a mysterious extent where everyone disappears. Yeah, I've only seen like everyone's been dead. You got things like the whole was it Left Behind series, which is insane. Oh, there's, or um, the re- was it the you know, reckoning or pe- something? You know, there's you know everything where a contagion kills off almost everybody. You know, the, this scenario has been done over and over again. I am Legend. Well, you know, well, I'm, I'm just thinking I've never seen before where everyone just disappears mysteriously. Like where, like uh, Left Behind is Revelation. It's like where everyone got right, right. But here's the thing: it's that thematically they're going to explore the exact same themes. You're right. You got a point there that you see in those movies. You're going to have you know 
the initial, oh, what do I do now that there's no rules? Okay, I've done it all. What's left? What's there going to be? Right. The sudden realization that there is no one else, that this is all there will ever, you know, the despair. It's going to be those same themes, just in a, di- a slightly different light. That's true. That being said, it looks like a high quality movie. I like the I like the actor that's in it, uh, and the actress is hot. No, I, I recognize. That's, that's funny because I recognize the actress, but not the actor. The actor is from a television show. Let me see. Let me make sure I get the name right. That Ann and I have started watching. Uh, I'm going to look him up or her up now because I recognized her from something. Let me make sure I got it right. It's called Outsiders. It's about this clan of uh, mountain people who live by their own laws and rules in Tennessee. Oh, gotcha. It's good. I, I actually do recommend it. Oh, that's why I recognize her. She was in It Follows, which was a great horror movie. Okay. Um, Like one of the better ones of the last 10 years. And Independence Day Resurgence, which I actually enjoyed Independence Day Resurgence. But I... It's one of those movies that I've watched it. When I went and saw it in theaters, I was disappointed that I was like, there were other movies out we could have seen that weren't this. <laughs> that was <laughs> that we there were better choices. Uh, but now that I've watched it, it's one of those things that I should have just waited until it was on. Right. Blu-ray. I should have waited until it was rentable because me feeling like I paid you know 15 bucks to go see it <laughs> is a letdown. I got it from the Storks and it was great. Oh, the storks. Gotta love the storks. But the, both these actors then apparently are both up and comers. Uh, mm-hmm. What I said is that like small budget, smart concept sci-fi like this can be really good or just plain boring. So I'm hoping right. that it's actually good. It seems like it is. Um, I don't know. What would you give it? Uh, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give this one a we'll see. And I was a little more optimistic. Gave it all. Let's take a look. Like it's oh this has promise so let's uh, take a look. The only thing that made me interested and really caught me and actually came sort of at the right time of the trailer, sort of when I was about to write off the movie, was at one point they show them in a field and they've dug graves, which means that they found someone probably. They found bodies of some sort. They found bodies, or they ran into other people and had to kill. You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing that made me go, okay, maybe there is a, a plot point here I'm not anticipating. There's something to it, yeah. Yeah. So kind of the same thing with both these movies where it's like, I hope there's something more to this. <laughs> yeah. But doesn't look bad. It's not a burn it. Yeah, absolutely. Television, the drug of a nation, breeding ignorance and feeding radiation TV. Its satellite links are United States of unconsciousness. Apathetic, therapeutic and extremely addictive. The methadone metronome, pumping out 150 channels 24 hours a day. You can flip through all of them, and still there's nothing worth watching. TV is a reason why less than 10... Uh, okay, so this week for Radical Recommends, I'm going to recommend... Uh, I know we're just past Valentine's Oh, wait, you got to tell everybody what Radical Recommends is, because hey, sir... Radical Recommends is where Jar and I are just going to recommend something to you that we like. Because we watch a lot of pop culture. We uh, absorb and, a lot of it. And we consume things that we enjoy. Exactly. Uh, so what I'm going to recommend, I know we're just past Valentine's Day, uh, but very rarely does a Valentine's Day special of any kind catch my eye, let alone what I watch it. And uh, I would like to recommend on Netflix, Michael Bolton's big, sexy Valentine's Day special. <laughs> I've heard good things. Where, where the premise is, is that, it, and that's the best part, is that there's a, a real, there's an actual premise to it. Like there's a plot. Um, and that is that Santa has all these extra, is going to have for all these extra toys next Christmas 
and he's going to have 758,000 extra toys that he can't, he won't have any kids to give to. So he enlists Michael Bolton to do a Valentine's day special or, you know, that's uh, to get people to make babies (laughs) so that there will be enough children to receive these extra presents from Santa. I have to watch this. Don't give too much away. It turns into a celebrity telethon where people are calling in and, and, agreeing to have babies and they've got a big clock up with how many babies have been agreed to be made <laughs> and it's, it's co-opted by lonely island too like they're helping with oh yeah and there's all like wow that's a great cameos and funny bits and music um i just i highly highly recommend it it really was very good awesome i need to watch that uh and what's your radical recommend uh so on our website of playonnerds.com we have a couple reviewers still reviewing things for us, and one of the shows we've been reviewing for a long time is The Path. Uh, our Caitlin Cassandra has been reviewing The Path on Hulu. It's a show mm-hmm. about um, with Jesse from uh, Breaking Bad is the star in it. Okay, I now I'm forgetting his name as an actual actor, uh, but uh, he it's all about uh, this cult and okay. the people who are either trying to leave the cult and trying to get into it. It's got Hugh Dancy, uh, Michelle Monaghan, actors you mm-hmm. probably recommend or I recognize from things. And you never know if like the cult is really real or if there's they actually believe in things that are actually kind of mystical that are actually happening or if it's just they're in their imaginations. It's kind of plays with that idea. And there's an FBI agent who's trying to pretend he's in the cult to try to investigate them. It's fascinating. So but she's been reviewing this for the last year and a half. And I've always had to like proofread her reviews and post them and find pictures. But I've never actually watched the show. And I'm like, I'm tired of reading about this show I've not seen. So I binge watched it. There's only um, 15 episodes out right now. That's just, okay. And uh, it was it's really good. It's fun. Oh, OK. Um, and what was it called again? The Path? The Path. It's a, a Hulu original series. OK. Uh, but Jesse Pinkman's in it. So that's <laughs> why so it was fun. But uh, yeah, it's just it's really like you don't know what's actually happening. And it's getting more and more uh, kind of like lost where like I love the. Uh, the actual mystical stuff that's building up and you're like, you don't know what's okay. for real or not, but the drama is really good too. So, okay, cool. I recommend it. And, and we are, yeah, and we're reviewing good. it on a play on nerds. So it's even more appropriate. And those are our radical recommends. And I'll also say, uh, walking dead is finally getting a little better. So yes, <laughs> this past week's episode, the, the return was better. Right. And Jerry Herrera's reviewing on our websites. He has really hilarious reviews uh, for those and very thoughtful reviews as well. So check that out. Check them out. Uh, so now for our thank you section. Yes. Uh, so Michael McGovern on Facebook said in our last week's episode, uh, I love that you all are going through all the Star Trek and Muppet films. The Great Muppet Caper is my favorite of the Muppet movies until the reboot a few years ago. Uh, some of the scenes are just incredible in the way the Muppets are interacting with the real world. Uh, examples being the bicycle scene and the water ballet sequence. I haven't seen a lot of the TV movies, but I am looking forward to watching them when you get to those. Love the show. Keep up the great work. That's amazing, yeah, Michael. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna have to decide which t- when he said the TV movies. I was like, ah, crap. I guess I'm gonna have to decide which one of those count. Yeah, I have to go through them. I hope we can find them online to watch somewhere. Because after the the main ones, I can think. How many Star Trek films are there? Oh, there's like 13, I think. Oh my god. <laughs> um. Okay. Let's see. Star Trek films. So for Muppets, I have Muppet movie, Great Muppet Caper, Muppets Take Manhattan. Mm-hmm. 
Muppet Christmas mm-hmm. Carol, M- yep. Muppet Treasure Island, Muppets from Space. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's a very Merry Muppet Christmas movie. I, I no, that was a, a made for TV yep. one, but very enjoyable. Uh, very good. The Muppets Wizard of Oz. Uh-huh. And then we have the Muppets 2011, uh-huh. and the Muppets Most Wanted 2014. Uh huh. And that's all I have. Okay, there's there was at least one other Muppet made for TV movie called Muppet Letters to Santa. Okay. So I'm not sure if that's on it, but if there there are other better Muppet things I can choose than that, if we need more. All right. There's the Muppet Valentine's Day special, which was basically their one of their opening pitches for the Muppet Show. Uh, Muppet Family Christmas, which is my favorite Muppet anything. Uh, off stuff like I mean, Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Have you still not watched Labyrinth? Oh, I've seen Labyrinth a bunch of times. Okay, cool. You hadn't seen Dark Crystal. That's right. Dark was. Crystal was one of the ones I had not seen, but I have seen okay. it now. Uh, but yeah, there are, there are other better things if we run out. Okay, cool. We'll try we'll try to find them early so we can put them in a chronological order if you can. Yes, I will tr- I will do my best. Cool. Cuz we'll get to like try to at least get 14 and 14 if that's what we need to do. Okay, cool. All right, so then we have uh, uh evil Dan Levitt or just Dan Levitt on Twitter cuz on 104 podcast he's a, a reoccurring co-host on there but they call him Evil Dan a lot. Uh he said on Twitter Muppet Caper is my personal favorite. I look forward to checking this out. And he, yeah. and he did hashtag, I thought you said the pets were dead. <laughs> and now he put a post as a picture of that scene from John Cleese. No, 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 the pets are dead. The butler's been discharged. <laughs> right. And then later on, he says, I listened, I listened yesterday and enjoyed it. You guys put out a good show over there. So thanks, Dan. Does that mean you're a new listener? Thanks, Dan. Does that mean you're just joining yeah, us? Or are you, are, are you like an old timer who's just been sitting quiet? Or have we had shit shows until now? And you're like, oh, you guys put a good show out now. Yeah, I don't know. But either way, no, that's legit. Maybe we hit our stride. 72 was it. 72 is all we needed. Uh, and so last week. So here's the thing that disappointed me is I don't think we got any answers to our trivia. We did not. Ah, uh, and you've checked. You've checked the email. I have. Uh, so no, no answers. And the question was, what was the name of the trumpet trumpet player in uh, Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem? Nobody answered. His name is Lips. Lips. Lips the trumpet player. That's an appropriate name for a trumpet player. It is. Uh, but now now you know, and you'll get it the next time it's a trivia question. And none, Never. none of you won the prize. None of you won the prize. None of you won that shout out. <laughs> so you know what? Shout out to me for knowing it. <laughs> okay, so here's a trivia question. Ooh. So this is not Star Trek related, but Star Wars. It's my okay, favorite. Is this, is this for our listeners or is this for me? For the listeners. Okay. So the prize is a shout out. Don't look it up. Don't watch the movie again. Just just know it. But just know it. What is the and last... email us trivia at a play on <laughs> Right. What is the last thing uttered by a character in the movie The Empire Strikes Back? I actually know this one. I'm actually proud of that. Yeah, because I think you and I have gone over this trivia before, and it's... it's Pro- probably. Most Star Wars geeks don't even know the answer to this. They get it wrong every time. Yeah, that's right. So, so uh, let us know and email trivia at a playonnerds.com. And if you win, you get a shout out. And maybe something else. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe we'll sign something and send it to you like a napkin or something. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> well, that's it. Uh, but, but otherwise, it's been a fun episode. I look forward to uh, actually for next episode, we'll be reviewing uh, The Muppets Take Manhattan. And I have invited a few of the guys from Tough Pigs, which is sort of a, a, the leading um, 
Muppet fan site, and it's referred to as uh, for Muppet fans who grew up. And these guys post a ton of stuff. Check them out on Facebook. But they're going to be our guests. I finally got some other Muppet experts, and these guys make me look like rookie. <laughs> like these these guys are going to put me to shame with their level of knowledge. That's impressive. It's going to be impre- it's going to be impressive. Uh, so join join us for that because I'm looking forward to it. Very cool. So I guess we'll see you guys next time. Yeah, uh, we'll keep being your co-hosts as long as you keep listening. Thanks again, Internet. Stay nerdy, my friends. If you'd like to find out more about us, you can always check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash aplayonnerds. Or check us out on Twitter and Instagram at aplayonnerds. We're also streaming live game content all the time on twitch.tv slash aplayonnerds. Fun videos and stuff to check out, youtube.com slash playonnerds. And also please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review if possible because that lets us be easily searched in the iTunes search index for podcasts and that way we know if we stink exactly let us know if you hate us or you love us that's always great check us out at our website www.aplayonnerds.com where all this content can be found at the tip of your fingers and you can also always email us at anything at aplayonnerds.com and then check us out on i guess snapchat maybe <laughs> for dick or, or tumblr <laughs> tumblrs periscopes uh, you could also throw a rock at us with a message on it carrier pigeons we accept cassette tapes <laughs> i love cassette tapes we just want to hear from you yes please send us anything you like at any social media outlets however you do it check us out and how and how